You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, like happens many times, um, we're going to start this with something that's just at the forefront of my mind as I poke through Twitter. I, I just I saw something, a Bears fan posted something kind of funny, and it's it's not a good argument, but he's just having fun, and it was a funny joke. So I was like, all right, that's pretty funny. And then I start seeing Packer fans like actually take it seriously and and um, thinking that it's some kind of a reflection on the Packers and Brian Gutekunst in general. And um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and push back on that a little bit. Floating around right now is somebody posted, which you could just go find by yourself, but somebody posted who's spending the most amount of money at the wide receiver position. And the Green Bay Packers are 32nd. And the the idea that seems to be permeating uh, throughout Packers Twitter, at least to some degree, is Brian Gutekunst doesn't care about wide receivers. Okay. Without me doing the legwork for you, let's just let me just ask you two questions. If we were to go back throughout Brian Gutekunst's tenure, do you think we've been at the bottom of the league throughout his tenure? That's question number one. Just think about who we've paid, how much we've paid, et cetera, et cetera. Just wide receivers. Question number two. Did we or did we not try to pay Devontae Adams a disgusting amount of money, more so than what the Raiders offered, which would have been in the ballpark of $30 million? And question 2B if he had said, okay, where do you think we would rank in the league right now? So after you answer those two questions, let me ask you this. Do you think it is a philosophical, um, how would you say it? Well, I just, I just, I'll just leave it at that. Do you think it is a part of Brian Gutekunst's philosophy that you should not spend a lot of money on wide receivers? If you can reconcile those things, the fact that we tried to pay Devontae 
And uh, spoiler alert, we have not been near the bottom. In fact, two out of, at least two out of uh, Brian Gutekunst's years, we've been top five. There's been, uh, I think, one other year we were top 10 in expenditures at the wide receiver position, all with a uh, quarterback that costs a lot of money because you got to remember teams that can blow a ton of money at the wide receiver position tend to be teams that um, have a bunch of money, either because they absolutely suck and just have a ton of cap space, or because they don't have that massive quarterback expenditure. Look, I mean, this is so painfully obvious. We've been for a very long time one of the most um, high-spending teams at the wide receiver position. We lost Devontae, and then Lazard, and then MVS, and now there's no money being put into the wide receiver position. And then you may ask a follow-up question, well, why doesn't he go out and spend money at the wide receiver position? To which I would respond, what money? And what wide receivers? Because again, if we went out and got Odell Beckham, for example, who wants $15 million per year, couple things. Number one, even if we paid all of that $15 million, we still would not be within the top 20. So that wouldn't fix the problem because all of our wide receivers are rookies, basically, or second-year guys on our rookie contracts and Bo Melton, who probably makes less than our rookies. So that doesn't fix the problem. Number two, that would leave us with no money. We wouldn't have enough money to sign our draft class. So what would we have to do? We'd have to spread the money out, which means if we spent all the available money, let's say we have about $5 million that we can actually spend. That takes us from 5.5 to 10.5, which would mean we would go from 32nd all the way up to 31st. We don't have any money. We spent all of our money in other, in other areas. And by the way, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you know what that means? That means without even looking, I don't even have to look. And let me do a little magic trick for you. Through the powers of magic, I'm able to deduce that we spend more money at other positions than other teams do. And yeah, there probably is some kind of an imbalance. You don't want to be in this position, but it is what it is. And by the way, the money isn't necessarily a reflection of talent. It can be in a lot of ways. But you know what throws that off? There's two things on both sides of the spectrum that tend to throw that off in terms of using the amount of cap space used on a player to determine how much value is on a team. Number one is overpaying big name old veterans in free agency. Number two, rookie contracts. Christian Watson's contract does not necessarily reflect Christian Watson's value to the team, which ultimately is what we should care about, is how much value to the team our wide receivers are, are producing. Right? This is what everybody's pissing and moaning about with Jordan Love, and, and understandably, I mean, having a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract is, is awesome. But we want him to be able to play under that rookie contract. Why? If we're paying him less, doesn't that mean he's worth less? No, it has nothing to do with the value the player is bringing you. So we should focus less on how expensive our wide receivers are and focus more on the quality of the wide receiver room. And make no mistake, we have more room to do at wide receiver. Absolutely. But to simply say we rank 32nd, therefore Gutekunst doesn't care about the wide receiver position is so boring and lazy and dumb. And by the way, here's the other thing. If we drafted nothing but wide receivers, every single pick was a wide receiver, it would cost us um, $11,386,382 in total. That would move us to 26th place. So let me ask you, if Brian Gutekunst drafted all wide receivers in this draft class, would you still hold the position that he doesn't care about wide receivers simply because we rank 26th in wide receiver expenditures? Or would that be a little bit silly at that point? 
maybe, as I've said, wide receiver expenditures shouldn't be the only thing we look at. It's not, it's not a terrible start as one data point to look at how much a team cares about something, but we should maybe add in a little bit of extra context. And again, rather than just staring at a number and saying, oh, look, there's data to support my claim that Gutekunst is an idiot, let's just go step by step and, and look at each thing and say, what would I have done different? Devontae Adams, you offered $31, $32 million. He said, no, I want to go to the Raiders. No amount of money is going to bring me back. Okay, not much you can do about that. MVS, should we have kept him for, what, $10 million? I'm, I'm a firm no on that one. Absolutely not. Lazard, should we pay to keep him? I'm a no. I'm an absolute no on that. So where do we differ? Where, does you, where would your plan differ from Brian Gutekunst's plan so far? You'd have a pile of rookie wide receivers. I mean, we, maybe it would be a little different in terms of the quality of the wide receivers, depending on which ones you would have drafted if you would have drafted some last year. And of course, we would have T. Higgins, because everybody knows every Packer fan wanted T. Higgins, except, you know, any of them. Listen, there's going to come a time where Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs are going to put their hand out and want a bunch of money, at which point we're going to be one of the highest paying teams at the position. And guess what? The value of our wide receiver room is not going to go up because it's not contingent on how much money we're putting in the pockets of the wide receivers. The moment they get their contracts, we're not going to be able to cheer and say, yay, we finally have good wide receivers. That's not how that works. In fact, you know what's funny? Um, I've talked about this a little bit before. There's a difference between um, what, what you're essentially always looking for is having surplus talent over and above what you're paying them. The Packers right now are the only team in the entire NFL, according to Over the Cap, with a negative value over APY, which is to say we are spending $23.7 million more money than we have talent if you turn talent into a dollar amount. The next lowest is the Browns at $5.8 million above. $5.8 million more talent than they are spending money. We're at $24 million in the negative. $29 million of that is Aaron Rodgers. So we go positive as soon as Aaron Rodgers goes off the team. But you know who we're getting the most value from? Christian Watson. In fact, he is one of the most valuable players uh, in the entire NFL, according to Over the Cap. We got $22.2 million worth of value from Christian Watson. We paid him $2.3 million, which is $19.9 million in excess value from Christian Watson. That's a good thing. Again... The value that we get from Christian Watson has nothing to do with how much money we're paying them. And again, on the flip side, the most negative player in the entire NFL is Aaron Rodgers. And they break that down two ways, average per year and cash due. And it gets even worse if you look at the cash because he's due $60 million while we were getting, according to this, $21.2 million worth of value from him, which is hilarious because Christian Watson was a little bit more than that. This is based on, by the, they created this uh, formula. I don't exactly know how it works, but the value that they gave out is positional value incorporated with their PFF grades and whatnot. Let me just read what they said here. It says, uh, over the caps, player valuations are calculated using a proprietary formula to more accurately depict the value being provided by a player based on his on-field performance relative to the current market for his position. The calculations utilize a number of statistics and performance evaluations that are provided by Pro Football Focus. 
Positional valuations use a number of factors, including snap counts, PFF grades, and statistics to determine the player's primary valuation. Overall values add a special teams component to the valuation uh, for a more in-depth evaluation, blah, 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 blah. So again, they put together how much you're worth and then subtract how much they're paying you to find out how much excess value that we have. And again, the Browns are the second worst with $5.8 million in excess value. We have negative $24 million. You want to know why we struggled? Paying too much money for too little. And that's what happens when you start paying big-time money to some of these guys because, you know, anytime you look at this formula, it doesn't really matter how good you are. You're not going to find guys that live up to those contracts. You know, Tyreek Hill is massively negative. I think that was due to injury largely, but, you know, Debo Samuel and everybody else, it's just, you know, Kirk Cousins, he had a great year, but you can't justify $35 million or 30 if you look at his cash. So anyways, again, it's just a silly narrative that's getting flapped around, and it's just another reason for people that don't like Gutekunst to, to say that this is a horrible thing that has happened here. How could you do this? And it just, it doesn't mean anything. I know a lot of fans are desperate for that big, expensive wide receiver because, man, if we just drop 50 million bucks on a receiver, everything's just going to be fixed. I know. I get it. Just like if we would have got Julio last year, right? Oh, man, that would have been great. I mean, the, the, the highest paid wide receiver this year is Alan Lazard to the Jets. Last year, it was Christian Kirk to Jacksonville and Alan Robinson to the Rams. The year before that, you know who the big name was? Kenny Galladay to the Giants. How'd that pan out? Remember when they did it? See, and this is, this is the problem that I have with it. Everybody wants to piss and moan about stuff, about why the Packers didn't do it, and then when it doesn't pan out, everybody forgets. Kenny Galladay to the Giants. Packers could have done that. Kenny Galladay's a freak. Kenny Galladay's been a bust. You know what the next highest was? Corey Davis to the Jets. In 2020, we actually did get the highest overall value, not the highest per year per se, that would have been Emmanuel Sanders to the uh, going to the Saints, which obviously helped them immensely. Uh, but you know what the highest overall value was? It was us. We did it. We did it, guys. We won the Super Bowl. You know who it was? It was Randall Cobb. Man, just taking big swings at that wide receiver position. Dang. Changing the world. You know who got the most money in 2019? Tyrell Williams to Oakland, back when it was Oakland. $44.3 million over four years, $11 million per year. So that's awesome. I don't even, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that trade. I'm guessing it didn't go well. <laughs> After that was Golden Tate to the Giants. The year before that was the year that Chicago, actually they had the two highest, Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel. Allen Robinson, man, $14 million per year they gave him. He was decent, but it didn't help them. And then they paid the second highest total amount to Taylor Gabriel from Atlanta. Remember that? The speedster? That was a complete freaking bust. The second highest average was Dante Moncrief, who went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Remember that blockbuster? Yeah, me either. You know who else was a big one that year in 2018? Jordy Nelson going over to Oakland. Also had Michael Crabtree going to Baltimore. So, I mean, obviously these are franchise-changing franchise-altering moves that were made here. Every single one of these teams that took big swings at wide receiver, they've all, like Chicago, two, the two highest paid wide receivers went to Chicago, which is why they went to back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back Super Bowls. Really, really impressive stuff.
We have these fictions created in our mind because we know this one time somebody went somewhere and it turned out well. And so we just make stuff up. Even the T. Higgins. You know what's, you know what's hilarious about the T. Higgins thing? There's a team that did draft T. Higgins. They have an elite quarterback who's even better than Aaron Rodgers. They have Jamar Chase, who is arguably better than Devontae. They've been in the playoffs consistently. And you know what? T. Higgins wasn't enough to get him over the hump. Bengals are a better football team than us right now. They have T. Higgins. They have the quarterback. They have the, the, the number one wide receiver. T. Higgins didn't get him over the hump. Just like Drake London didn't help Atlanta become a powerhouse, or how Garrett Wilson didn't turn the Jets into a powerhouse, or, Garrett, or Chris Olave didn't suddenly take New Orleans to a Super Bowl, or Jamison Williams didn't fix Detroit, or Jahan Dotson didn't fix Washington, or Traylon Burks didn't fit, fix Tennessee, or Christian Watson didn't magically transform the Packers. It's another funny thing. You guys piss and moan about T. Higgins, and then we get a guy that's really good, and it's like, well, that doesn't count. He's a rookie. Well, what the heck was T. Higgins when we drafted him? Just like Devontae Smith didn't take Philadelphia. I mean, they went this last year, but certainly not in their rookie year anywhere. They didn't win it. Just like Kadarius Toney didn't fix the Giants. Rashad Bateman didn't fix, fix Baltimore. Henry Ruggs didn't fix the Raiders. Jerry Judy didn't fix Denver. CeeDee Lamb never took Dallas to a Super Bowl. Jalen Rager didn't fix Philadelphia. Even Justin Jefferson, best wide receiver in football. Minnesota, struggling to even get in the playoffs. 49ers, dominant team, drafted Brandon Ayuk. They can't even win a Super Bowl. Again, T. Higgins, Cincinnati. Nope, no Super Bowls. How about Hollywood Brown in Baltimore? How about Nikhil Harry in New England? I'm just going through first-round picks, a couple second rounds, because, you know, we got to talk about Christian Watson and T. Higgins. But I'm just asking, man, because... Supposedly, if you draft a first-round wide receiver, then you're going to win a Super Bowl, and I'm, I haven't seen that yet. I'm working on it. I just I, I'm struggling to see that. You got DJ Moore in Carolina, no. Calvin Ridley in Atlanta, no, that didn't do it. How about oh Cortland Sutton? But that's a second-round pick, but still, that didn't do it. Dante Pettis in San Francisco didn't do it. Okay, first-round picks. Let's see. Corey Davis in Tennessee, no Super Bowls. Mike Williams and for the Chargers, no Super Bowls. You would think I would accidentally come across one, right? You know what I mean? Like. I'm just listing teams. You'd think one of these teams won a Super Bowl at some point in the, in, since you know, their drafting of these people, but nothing. Uh, Cincinnati, again, with another wide receiver, John Ross. That obviously didn't get them a Super Bowl. Uh, Will Fuller for Houston. No, that didn't do it. Uh, Josh Doxson for Washington. No. Laquan Treadmill for uh, Minnesota. No Super Bowls there. My goodness. Going all the way back to 2015. Again, you would think I would accidentally, just by random chance, come across one here. Um Amari Cooper for Oakland, no. Kevin White for the Bears, yikes. Devontae Parker in Miami, no, not quite. Nelson Aguilar in Philadelphia. Brashad Perriman, Baltimore. Philip Dorsett, Indy, still, again, haven't even accidentally come across a team. How about our buddy Sammy Watkins in Buffalo? No luck there. Mike Evans in Tampa. He, they did win one, right, with Mike Evans there? There you go. So you'd, you'd, if, if, you're, uh, you, if you draft a wide receiver in the first round, you have a one in, like, 50 chance that in, uh, let's see, in uh, like seven years, you'll win a Super Bowl when you go out and uh, get Tom Brady to play for you. Obviously, duh. <laughs> it's so simple, you idiot Gudekunst. How do you not know how to do this? Uh, Odell Beckham, obviously he's the only reason the Rams won, but it didn't help the Giants at all. Brandon Cooks in New Orleans, no, that didn't do anything. Kelvin Benjamin for Carolina, they've taken a bunch of swings at wide receiver, that didn't do anything. It's crazy. It's so crazy because... Like, if, if we would have just gotten that one second round with receiver, we would have won a Super Bowl for sure. 
yet I can't find any teams that have won with first-round receivers, nor can I find the team that actually drafted that second-round receiver who has similar characteristics to our team, nor, nor have they won a Super Bowl. But, yeah, apparently that's all you got to do. You just got to draft receivers. Except now that we're drafting wide receivers, now it doesn't count. But before, all we had to do was draft T. Higgins and everything would have been fixed. I feel like the data might be slightly against you. I know it feels comfortable because obviously we can't actually go back in time, so I can't 100% verify that you are wrong, and that gives you a sense of comfort, but it shouldn't because there's no data whatsoever that would support that um, idea. None. Again, aside from the fact that T. Higgins probably wouldn't have been the pick. That's not who anybody wanted, but let's just pretend that's who everybody wanted. Um, Unlike the T.J. Watt thing, that is something everybody wanted T.J. Watt. I wanted T.J. Watt. You wanted T.J. Watt. We all wanted T.J. Watt. And we got Kevin King, right? Darn it all. Nobody wanted freaking T. Higgins. And then, of course, there's a whole thing where the team just collapses. And so that T. Higgins wouldn't really necessarily fix that when your quarterback stops playing, your offensive line goes to crap, your pass rushers can't do anything anymore, like that whole thing. I don't know that T. Higgins necessarily has that putting the team on his back mentality, um, enough of that mentality to be able to drag an entire 53-man roster to the Super Bowl. But maybe he does. He can't do it in uh, Cincinnati, but maybe. Maybe he's that dude. In which case, yeah, big mistake. Can you tell I'm tired of that? Anyways, also, I just saw this uh, Murphy Takes Five. It just came out, and so I wanted to rip through it. And the third question in here is um, talking about, are you... uh, are there any big-name free agent targets you guys have been in contact with for the front office? If so, who, too, is drafting a quarterback at any point during the NFL draft a likely possibility? Now, what I've been telling you is it doesn't matter that we are top whatever in salary cap space. We don't have any money. His answer, unfortunately, Ian, given our salary cap situation, we are not in a position to sign any big-name free agents. That doesn't mean that we will not sign some very good players, though. We also lost some players, blah, 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 blah. So there you go. We don't have any money. And then, funny enough, and you can choose not to believe it if you want, but in regard to drafting a quarterback, is it possible? What does he say? What do you think he's going to say? He says, with regard to drafting a quarterback, it's really hard to say. It'll depend on how we have various quarterbacks rated and how our draft board falls. In other words, we're going to stick to the board, and if the board tells us to take a quarterback, we're going to take a quarterback. And it's amazing how nobody seems to understand that. I know that at some point they're going to probably draft a quarterback, and it's likely either going to be a, a you know, third-rounder later backup type of guy, but immediately the conversation is going to be, see, see, they have no confidence in Jordan Love. The head coach tried to tell you, now they're drafting a quarterback, they have no confidence. Okay. Okay. And then uh, we'll do one final thing before the break here. This is... Uh ESPN article, Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano kind of giving some updates. They talk a little bit about the Lamar Jackson thing. Um, <clears throat> apparently another issue with him getting signed is the fact that teams seem to feel that it would be a waste of time putting in all the work to come up with a contract for Lamar just to have the Baltimore Ravens match whatever offer they put out. So lots of issues with that. In other words, they'd be doing all the legwork creating the contract for the Baltimore Ravens and they don't really want to play that game. As far as Aaron Rodgers, though, um, nothing massive that uh, we didn't already know, and and the the little bit of detail here is speculative, but apparently there's, obviously there's multiple components. There's the financial component, there's the compensation component. Um, It sounds like 
Early on, they were working on uh, the financial component, his $60 million that's due. And the belief is that both sides, Packers and Jets, have kind of worked that out. However, that's going to work if the Packers are going to do something or how, whatever. And that leaves us where we kind of thought we were, which is the compensation portion. Yahoo Sports report that 2024 protections, a conditional pick if Rodgers were to retire after the coming season, for example, are a hang-up that makes a lot of sense because execs I spoke to early in the process believe that would be an issue for the Jets. Then they go on to say how Rodgers even said how he wanted to retire. Says, after talking to multiple sources in Phoenix, I do not believe the Packers are insisting on a Jets first-round pick, which, duh, he already said that. And I think that a high second-round pick that they got from Cleveland in the Elijah Moore trade would be key to getting this done. One of my sources acknowledged that the April 27th draft is a key date, but also said they don't expect it to take that long, which is not the first time that we've said that. But again, if this is just some, you know, random Rams executive just giving his opinion, it doesn't really mean anything. I found literally no one on either side of this who believes it won't happen. I'm confident that Rodgers will be a Jets quarterback in 2023. I feel strongly that a deal that doesn't involve the Jets' 2023 first rounder will be finalized before this year's draft, says Graziano. So again, nothing really massive here that we weren't really expecting. Um, There's still somewhat of a wide range, but it kind of seems like we're honing in on it. You know, I mean, on one hand, it, it, it is leaning toward the Packers aren't going to get 13. Whether that means they're still going to get 13 compensation or less, I don't know. But it also sounds like because they're saying not necessarily 13, it, it sounds like we are talking about roughly that value. So any thought that maybe we're going to get a really accept a really low ball offer, I don't think is going to happen. I can't imagine it takes this long and it's like a you know one second round pick and then we have to give back a pick or something for for their insurance. You know that that doesn't really make sense. So we'll see how it goes. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break and uh, we'll rock and roll through the rest of all this stuff. If you by chance uh, like the work that I'm doing here, appreciate all the effort and whatnot. You can support me for as little as one single dollar a month over at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Thanks again to uh, Seth, Brad, Joyce, and Luke for jumping in in the month of March. It's April. New month. Need new patrons. That's how it works. Also, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. Go find them at fertilegroundranch.org. See if that is a cause that you would be interested in supporting. It would be uh, greatly appreciated if you would do so. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Anyways, I briefly referenced it. There's not a lot of substance here, but uh, we may as well talk about it since I, you know, when I bring things up, I would like to play it on the podcast just so that it's properly being represented. Um, Pat McAfee had rap sheet on. This was after Florio. So Florio's on and says his nonsense. We already talked about that. And then um, he brings Ian on, and this is what he had to say. Obviously... All parties talked about the Aaron Rodgers, New York Jets, Green Bay Packers situation. Both GMs, both head coaches, they all kind of said the same thing. That would have been a perfect setting to kind of meet in the same room and maybe negotiate how we could get this done because Florio said in our show that allegedly, reportedly, the Packers have kind of given up. They're like, we don't want the 13 anymore. Did that happen at league meetings? And is Again, this is what's hilarious about this, and this is why you can't trust... All right. I don't want to broadly say you can't trust the media, but this is the problem with, like, reporting stuff. This is how badly nonsense can be reported. First of all, not really what Florio said, even, even though Florio got it wrong, but beyond that, you don't need Florio. Brian Gutekunst said it. What do you mean Florio reported? But again, this is the whole telephone thing where it just, it, it gets so absurd so fast. And we don't even need the telephone game. This information doesn't need to go from Gutekunst to Florio to uh, Pat McAfee to Ian. You can just listen to Brian Gutekunst say what he said, and he never said, never mind, we don't want 13. Florio said they backed away from 13. Now Pat's saying, never mind, we don't even want 13. What? None of that was said. All he said is it doesn't necessarily have to be 13. It's not off the table. From the Packers' perspective, it may be from the Jets' perspective, but the point is, it's still there, it's still something we want, but we're willing to negotiate something else if they're going to hold firm, and again, the reason that came up is because there's a lot of speculation that the Packers are the one that are dug in on 13, it has to be, otherwise this deal's not getting done, he dispelled that myth and said that's not true. We are flexible and willing to listen to other things outside of just 13. That doesn't mean they've backed away from 13. It doesn't mean 13's off the table. It doesn't mean they don't want 13. Dude, I, I watched that clip once. How freaking hard is this? Come on, guys. Is that accurate in from your sources? No, from your, okay. from your source. His source is Brian Gutekunst, who said it in front of a camera. Okay, so I don't know that 13 was ever or is ever being traded like if you're the jets that is a very very valuable asset right like the 13th overall pick is so again to be clear now again you can decide how much of this you want to think is a reliable source right clearly we know he didn't get this from the jets because he said i don't know if i don't think and then goes on to rationalize which means what he's telling us right now is based on his own rationale. He doesn't think that the Jets would give up that much for Aaron Rodgers, and that's fine. I trust his opinion, but I just want to be very clear. He is not speaking on behalf of the Jets. He's giving us his opinion based on what he thinks makes the most sense. Like you're getting, you know, if you hit it... Very valuable. Look at a four-time MVP with it. Yeah, yeah. also valuable. Very, very right. valuable. Also very, valuable. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That yeah. is true. Yeah. No, you're right, but that is true. Um, however... 
what so let's say the Jets are saying like, hey, we would never give the 13th pick, which I, I believe that to be the case. That's okay because remember, it's all a chart, and you could basically put in each pick depending on the different charts you have, whether you have a Jimmy Johnson chart, whether you have an analytics based chart, whatever it is, each pick has a value. So you can say like, all right, well, if you're not going to give 13, we want to get, let's say, a first-round pick. We can say two twos and something else, and that equals what we want. So even though 13 is you know, probably not available, they can still get really good compensation by putting a bunch of other picks yeah. together. Ten sevens, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right, eight sixes. Yeah. Ten sevens, five. Mm-hmm. You start doing the math, those things add up, you know? Yeah. Can't go broke taking a profit. So, yeah, uh, jokes aside... Funny stuff. Um, it's it's funny how how good Ian is at this at navigating the Pat McAfee show. He's a very diplomatic person. He's never once told Pat, "No, that's not true." I mean, he'll kind of do the eh, thing, but that's about the extent of it. All he does is agrees and then re-explains the situation in the correct manner. So basically, what Ian said is, in my opinion, I don't think thirteen. I think thirteen is a non-starter. I don't think the Jets would do that, but it doesn't matter. Because if the Packers want that value and they're stuck on 13 and the, and the Packers are not stuck on 13, they can still come up with comparable value by combining picks like two twos and whatever else it would take to get there. That's all he's saying, which is common sense. But again, this is all nothingness. And again, Pat, I think, takes this as confirmation because just not much of a listener. <laughs> but no, that, that is not the reality that the Packers have backed away saying we don't even want the first. That's not the case. They're very interested in pick 13, but they're willing to listen to other compensation that they find to be, you know, of the same value that they're like, like Ian said, it's all a chart. What the Packers are looking for is a number, right? If they want a certain, like pick 13 is 1,150, according to the, uh, what is this? This is the classic Jimmy Johnson model, which is probably the most outdated, but it doesn't matter. I'm just using this for illustration. Let's say what they want in compensation is closer to like 1600 which is like pick six. So they're talking about like, or maybe that's a little much. No, not really. It's pick seven, 1500 That would be like a first and a second. Or maybe like a first and a second and a player or something. You know, whatever. Let's, say it's, let's just say it's a first and a second. So the, the, the Jets can say, no, we're not doing that, but we can give you two seconds and a player worth roughly 500 because the two seconds come to about a thousand which would be about pick well it's actually probably about pick 12 1200 1100 somewhere in there where are the picks oh they're 480 and 470 so it's actually less it's pick 17 it's 950 but then we can throw a player on top of that or a next year's second something i don't know but that's the point that the first there's, there's two components there's the value right the packers are saying we want 1500 and the jets are like we'll pay you a thousand right so it's between it's it's between pick seven and pick sixteen, in terms of you know visualizing the value, that's where they're separated. So you got to bring that together and then find compensation that they're willing to part with. Because there are other things like, for example, players aren't as crazy as, as it sounds to trade players. It's actually a good way to do it because there are probably some players that the Packers value more than the Jets do, and so that's a way where the Packers can say they got fifteen hundred worth of value, and the Jets can say we only gave up twelve hundred or whatever. It bridges that gap if you view the value differently, right? For example, and the wide receivers make a lot of sense because the Jets are talking about, first of all, they brought in Lazard. They've already got Garrett. They've got some other guys that they like. And there's a a very strong inclination right now that Odell Beckham is going to end up with the Jets. So their surplus receivers, the value, you know, supply and demand is way down. Plus the one guy they got rid of, they've already replaced. So they still have a surplus. 
whereas the Packers could use some of these guys. So again, the Packers may value one of these guys significantly more than the Jets do, just based on need, right? The Jets are never going to use this guy. He's going to sit on the bench, and we haven't really gotten much from him. Rodgers probably isn't going to tar. You know, he's going to want Odell and Lazard and, and Garrett Wilson. Like, that's going to be our core for sure. So this guy is going to sit on the bench uh, as opposed to going to Green Bay where he'd get some significant play. Maybe, probably, I don't know. So that's why as much as, you know, people kind of look down on player swaps, I think it's actually a pretty good idea if you're having a hard time kind of bridging the gap in how much value we need to come to. Because then you got to, then you got to like open up the books and start looking at all the different players and, and trying to ascertain values of these players. So kind of random, but I had somebody ask on um, the Twitters, who do we got here? Seth, I thought? Nope, Josh. Josh is the man. He wanted some clarity on the David Bakhtiari situation, and I don't know that we've necessarily looked into it a ton, but as far as I can tell, it's entirely uh, straightforward here. Um, As far as, the, the only real difference would be if we did want to do something this year, it would have to be a post June 1 thing. Cutting trading makes no difference. Um, But if we do a post-June 1, let's just say trade this year, we're going to have $19.083 million in dead cap. Do you know what it is if we just let him play out the year and do it next year? $19.083 million in dead cap money. So why not just let him play this year? And then next year, if we decide to move on at the age of 33, it costs us 19.083. Now, his, his cap hit is $40.5 million. Zero chance in the world we're paying that. So either we move on, which could be a trade, and a, and a trade is entirely reasonable, and it would be the exact same thing. It's 19.083 on our cap, which means the team that would take him would also have about a $21.5 million hit, which, which isn't terrible. That's about what we're paying him this year. I think that's about what a premier left, I mean, that's cheap for a premier left tackle, but being, you know, 33 years old, Let's just call it a fair price. And then they can negotiate an extension or whatever they want to do if they decide to keep him. That's an option. However, if he's still able to play, depending on what we've done in the draft, let's say this year and then next year, if there isn't a tackle waiting in the wings and if David Bakhtiari is still playing at a high level, I'm fully on board with he get out a year early as opposed to a year late, which, you know, makes sense. But if you have a premier left tackle, you got a premier left tackle. You know what I mean? That's the way I lean. I would have kept Brian Balaga also, and I probably would have been wrong about that. Don't like giving up tackles. But the point is, there's, there's, in my opinion, two very clear options. Now, it's not to say we couldn't possibly, you know, if there was sort of a post-June 1 trade thing going on. Again, it would have to be post-June 1, because if it isn't, um, then the Packers are going to have to eat about $17 million. That's $17 million additional dollars on top of what we would have already paid David Bakhtiari, which is 21, for a grand total of $38.16 million in dead cap money. So that's not going to happen. Now, I understand this probably isn't going to happen anyways because we're planning on getting this done prior to June 1st so we can get it done before the draft. But I'm just saying, assuming this isn't a part of any kind of major trade deal, it makes the most sense to me to let him play out the year reassess, see how he's doing. You know, 33 is getting up there. Even, you know, well, tackles play for a long time. I know, he's already 33. He's already up there in terms of playing for a long time. I mean, the the max maybe is like, I mean, some guys are like 38 maybe, but realistically like 35? Maybe? 
You know, I, I, again, just like with Aaron Rodgers, I, I'd love a scenario where we could just keep paying him and he just keeps playing at a high level forever. But there is a time where you have to realize this thing is coming to a close. And I just wonder if next year would be that year. But again, either way, it doesn't matter because we're not paying 40 million bucks. It's either an extension or we cut him or we trade him. Most likely we would end up trading him unless his market really is that low that they're like, I don't want him for that price. And then we really don't have a choice but to cut him and let somebody else go get him. But for crying out loud, get something for the guy, you know? Anyways, let's end with this. Um, once again, because I'm going to be um, providing content that is behind a paywall, I must encourage you to uh, check out golongtouchdown.com. That's golongtd.com. It's Tyler Dunn's website. He always has a lot of really good insights. He's, he's an old Packers beat guy, so he has a pretty big Rolodex and has a lot of guys um, that he works with. For example, Bob McGinn, and in this case, uh, Leroy Butler. And I'll just tell you from the outset, the reason I want to highlight this is because it very heavily agrees with my current sentiment. But I want to go through it because he articulates it in a very, um, well, articulate way. Also, Leroy Butler kind of chimes in, so we're just going to go ahead and do this. But a couple of the points that it brings up in here, I'm going to try not to read it line by line because, again, it's behind a paywall. Go check it out. Although I think you can sign up for a free week-long thing and read the article yourself or whatever, but... Uh, it starts off basically talking about how Aaron Rodgers once again decides he wanted to bash the organization, and it just brings up a couple things. First of all, it says he uh, wanted to paint the current regime as evil compared to the Packers regimes of the past, lifting off uh, people atop the organizational chart. Um, mentioning the team's president, Bob Harlan, cracked a huge smile and said, Bob, legendary guy, I have so much love for him which is a not-so-subtle dig at the current president, never mind the reality that Mark Murphy put his career and reputation on the line in 2008 by greenlighting Ted Thompson's decision to roll with Rodgers over Brett Favre. Never mind the fact that Brian Gutekunst, a scout then, has cited Thompson as a mentor many times and is following, oh, I don't know, the exact same playbook. And again, this is part of the only seeing one side of thing. Thing. Side of things thing. Aaron Rodgers loves to talk about the level of disrespect that is being given to the players. Really? Tone deaf much? From the guy that liked to call Mike McCarthy stupid? Talks behind the GM's back? Goes on YouTube? Trashes the, the, the very guy that is responsible for you having a career? And trying to pretend that there's some massive difference between Gutekunst and everybody else that was in the building at the time? He goes on in the next paragraph to talk about what we've already talked about on one hand, he said, I went into the darkness and came out and something changed. And on the other hand, clearly made it seem like he had these feelings that they didn't really want him last year. Says later on in the article, Minions will scold Mark Murphy for being honest at a girls' state basketball tournament. All Murphy did was speak directly to the shareholders. That's worthy of applause, not scorn. Complicated fellow was always putting it nicely. Allies still lose sleep over Gutekunst releasing Jordy Nelson, even though the wide receiver was clearly shot in 2017 and out of the NFL one year later. Every step, Gutekunst has been unflinchingly professional, consistent, and poised. At the Combine, he said the team was looking forward to chatting with Rodgers. Instead of engaging in this conversation, the quarterback sat down with Aubrey Marcus to discuss taking number twos in the dark. Whereas the Packers would love to have had a conversation privately, as adults typically do, Rodgers instead chose his YouTube bully pulpit. So at the owners' meeting, Gutekunst had no choice but to reveal that he had tried to reach Rodgers many times. That is a good point. They wanted to speak with Rodgers at the Combine. He did 
an interview with Aubrey Marcus talking about what he's actually passionate about, which is no longer football, clearly, and that is darkness retreats, ayahuasca, and pooping on yourself. And then, after refusing to pick up Gutekunst's call for the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th time, he goes on YouTube and starts trashing them, saying he doesn't feel welcomed or wanted by the guy that's been repeatedly calling you over and over and over and over. He then goes on to have a conversation with Leroy Butler. And, and make no mistake, this is not a just one guy's opinion. My opinion is just one guy's opinion. As it says here, Bob McGinn cited Butler as the team's number one ambassador. And I think that's probably right. I don't know, with Bart Starr passing away, I don't know that there is a better representative, a better ambassador, a more beloved figure in all of Green Bay Packers history than Leroy Butler. It says, this is why he believes fans are turning. For those of you that are wondering why fans are turning on Rodgers, here is what Leroy Butler thinks. He says, quote, this is one of the best quotes my mom gave me. Don't tell me you love me, show me you love me, Butler said. If I tell you I love you but treat you terrible, then why are you even telling me? But if I show you every single day that I love you, then you really get away without even saying it. My wife would say, if you wake up and you're respectful, you don't cheat, you're a great father, you rub my back when it's sore, you feed me, you do everything to show me you love me, you kiss me, you kiss my hand all the time. But if you say, I love you, I love you, and then you're disrespectful, you cheat, you're looking at uh, her friends, you're not taking her anywhere, you don't do anything, you're not going anywhere. So, bottom line, talk is cheap. He adds, instead of saying how much you love these fans, show them you love them. Butler correctly describes Gutekunst as a problem solver throughout this charade. He admits he takes Rodgers' harsh criticism of the team personal. He's floored by the quarterback, not even uh, taking his boss's calls, believes Rodgers will miss quiet Green Bay when TMZ's lurking behind the corner in New York City and doesn't think, about, uh, think the quarterback has taken legacy into account and how he's handling all of this. And then he says this, which I found to be honestly quite powerful. Says, I can't say it enough, Butler says. That G will never change. Sometimes players, especially the quarterback, the last two quarterbacks that went to the Jets, forget about that. Those guys in the locker room deserve better than this. It's funny that he goes on to talk about how uh, 15 years ago, Brett Favre went on Greta Van Susteren's Fox News show to rip the franchise. So <laughs> again, with the freaking parallels. Again, I hate to read the, the whole thing. I'll just read the first paragraph, but I, I find it to be insightful. It's kind of a question and answer portion here. Question. The quarterback put the Packers on blast, but isn't Gutekunst essentially following the same playbook as his mentor? Answer, yes. Butler's actual answer. I like the way Gutekunst has handled this. I like that he was up front about the conversation that didn't take place. He tried to reach out to Aaron. You have to go all the way back. Even the most staunch Aaron Rodgers supporter has to be fair and say, wait a minute, if the general manager of the team is reaching out to you, you've got to communicate with him or let your agent. I look at it a little bit different because I'm a passionate guy who played for one organization. The G never changes. Players do. For the most part, every quarterback in the league, you give them space to let them do what they want, and there's not a lot of repercussions. So it was refreshing to hear, we can't, uh, we can't get it done with him, so we have to move on. They've got a business to run. So it's funny to hear from Leroy Butler, because he's looking at this from the standpoint of, even as a high, call him high-ranking, I guess, player, very, you know, Hall of Fame player, He's basically saying all these quarterbacks get to do whatever they want. There's no repercussions. And it's refreshing to finally hear a team stand up to a quarterback and say, you know what? You're gone. And you know what? If Leroy Butler thinks it, do you honestly think the guys in the Packers locker room aren't thinking that? Really? I talked about this last year. The fact that you can't have 
different sets of rules. This, this is where I was talking about him, you know, everybody else getting thrown under the bus except Rodgers. You can't do that. I was largely criticizing Matt LaFleur for that. Do you know how you're going to tear that locker room apart? But still, you cannot do this. And somebody has to stand up and say, you don't get special treatment. If you're going to keep on, go ahead, but you can go do that somewhere else. He went on to say, they drafted a young man, Antoine Edwards, as my replacement. I was okay with it. You know why? Because when I leave in my head, I'm not going to play forever. I want the team to succeed. He should be happy they drafted Jordan Love to say, I'm going uh, to hand the keys to a guy because I want the G up there to succeed. But it's not about the team, and that's what's most disappointing. And that's true. Listen, and again, well, of course he's going to think about himself fine, but I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the Packers team. And I would be much, I would respect you much more if you also did. But if you don't, fine. But don't expect me to, to sympathize with you because you want the team to prioritize you over the team. That makes no sense. And again, I, I brought up that other point as well. Aaron Rodgers, quarterbacks are not the only positions who have players drafted in the same position that could potentially be pushing them out. Every player has to watch as people in their position get drafted. What's going to happen? We keep talking about we should draft a tackle in the first round. How's David Bakhtiari going to react to that? Does anybody give a crap? No! I've not heard one person, when there's a mock draft of the Packers taking Broderick Jones or whoever, say, dude, Bakhtiari's going to be pissed. Nobody even thinks about it. Because who gives a crap? And the fact of the matter is, most people want to do it because he might only be here for a couple more years. The same reality of the situation with Rodgers. You mean somewhere down the line, this guy that we have that's really good might not be here anymore, and in this case, we'll have a replacement ready to go? Wow. You mean that's a good thing sometimes? That's crazy. He goes on with his next answer. And, and, and I think the best part about this is Leroy Butler has a really good perspective on things. And the biggest thing is he's looking at Rodgers and basically saying, this is disappointing because it's not only disrespectful, it's ungrateful. He said, when, he said um, I remember when Aaron Rodgers was a rookie, he came in to Brett Favre and said, what's up, Grandpa? Brett didn't like that. A little bit later on, it says, that's what's really disappointing about this. What are you unhappy about? They gave you $150 million guaranteed. They did everything possible, and they're trying to call you. They're trying to meet you. Remember a couple years ago, they flew out there to meet with him? I mean, give me a break. Why are you so unhappy? We got all the players you want. Went and got Cobb. Gutekunst stood there and said, the reason we got Cobb is because of Aaron. And Aaron thought, oh, I've got a lot of control now. But now Gutekunst is saying, I've got to run a business. I've got to take the control back. There, shouldn't be an, there should be an open dialogue with the players, especially the main one. That's what's confusing. Mark Murphy said it best. We'll welcome Aaron Rodgers back. He's a Packers Hall of Famer. He's a Pro Football Hall of Famer. We'll retire his jersey. We're trying to figure out what's best for both parties. I was so glad to hear that. Sooner or later, they have to run a business. It's a head-scratcher. Do you understand they have to run a business? So when he said, after the darkness... I intended to play for the Jets, not I intended to play for the Packers. I think a lot of people were checked out, a lot of fans. I'm throwing my hands up. I'm ready to move on. And then Tyler Dunn brings up a great point. He says, I didn't think about it in those terms. They made you the richest person in the sport, and then you blew off the OTAs and had the worst statistical season of your career. Now we have Zach Gelb's CBS report that he blew off game plan meetings with Matt LaFleur, add it all up, and of course it's time to move on. He should not be surprised. Butler says, I don't think it's fair. When you're trying to determine whether you want to play or not, and the team can't decide if they want you. Which is, again, a great point. How do you get to decide if, if the team is worthy of you, but the team can't decide if you're worthy of the team? Again, it's just ungratefulness. It's, it's this holier-than-thou, I shalt be worshipped. Thou, thou shall have no other quarterback but me. 
He says, even if you're the most pro Aaron Rodgers guy, you've got to look at it fairly and say, wait a minute, the team has done everything. Whatever they asked for, they gave it to him. Everything. And they guaranteed him the money, and that still wasn't enough. Do you want to see yourself succeed, or do you want to see the organization? That G will never change. Only players change. And then they talk about, you know, if you're really worried about having better players around you, you could have done what Brady did and take a pay cut. Butler says, that's another reason I look at this differently, because I took three pay cuts to stay with the Packers. I knew the Packers fan base was amazing. I talked about it with my mom. I said, I'm a loyal person. You know, this this reminds me of, like, when you when you did something wrong and you tried to be like, well, everybody does it. And you say that to my grandma because my grandma didn't? (laughs) You try to make all these excuses and all these excuses, and here's Leroy Butler saying, you know what, I'm offended because I did everything I could for my team, and you're doing everything you can for you. I took pay cuts to stay in Green Bay. You crippled the team's salary cap with your contract, taking all the freaking money. $150 million guaranteed. Guaranteed. You know what guaranteed means? It means not a penny less. And what's especially upsetting about it is when he got the contract, he told everybody that it was going to be a team-friendly contract, and we all believed him. I believed him anyways, that it was going to be a contract that was, that was going to make it conducive for us to be able to go out and get a bunch of players and do all this stuff, and that wasn't the reality. Regardless of what the numbers actually come out to, this is not a low number. I mean, we had him in 2022 for a, it was a cap hit of $28.5 million, and this year he's going to play for the Jets, and it's going to cost us $40 million. Right? So we had him for one year, $70 million. Again, I'll, I'll wait until the final numbers are out, but that's what it's looking like from where I'm sitting. If we end up trading him and taking a $40.3 million dead cap hit, then the official tally on the cap is $68.847138 million so that he could play for us in 2022 and play kind of like trash. Then there's the next question, basically talking about, you know, what is, he's asking Butler, what is he talking about, essentially, with all this being upset about the way that they move on from players, which is what I've been asking. What exactly is the problem? He said, does his criticism of the team make any sense to you? Butler says, it really doesn't. Listen, I know Gutekunst a little bit. I don't know him that great, but he seems to be a very approachable guy. If you have any grievances, you can go to him. Gutekunst is a problem solver, not a problem. He's a problem solver. Case in point, when he went to go, went and got Randall Cobb, that proves that Gutekunst is doing everything possible. But he has 52 other guys that he needs to manage. I'm proud of the way Gutekunst handled it. There's a way to do things. There really is. I take it personal when you're attacking a team that gave you so much. I think that is true. I think that's an incredible way to look at things. The level of ungratefulness from a player who, who talk, who, who's gotten everything. And again, talks out of both sides of his mouth about how, you know, how grateful he is to the organization for doing this, that, and the other, and everything else, but yet will happily smack Gutekunst and Mark Murphy right in the mouth. $150 million guaranteed, and he's got a problem with Gutekunst? For what? He brought back every single guy you want. It's not just Cobb, it's everybody else that you wanted. Everybody that you wanted, with the exception of Kumaro. Butler even went on to say, and then Randall Cobb takes a pay cut to play one more year. Everybody's taking pay cuts but Aaron. He says, I applaud Mark Murphy for how he handled it. 
Goes on to say a little further down, the reason they chose Jordan Love, I'll be honest with you, the reason they chose Jordan Love is because they don't want to be like Tampa. They don't want to be like Atlanta. They don't want to be like some of these teams that don't have a quarterback of the future. They don't have anybody in waiting. The Saints, they've got a, a great they've got to get a journeyman or a young guy, you know, you don't know who will work out. Get a guy, put him under your wing, develop him. And when he gets the keys to the franchise in three and a half, four years, he's ready to go uh, ready to go. And I applaud them for that. Some other really great lines in here. Uh, final paragraph of this one question here. It says, um, we should be talking more about that Detroit game. You would think the way Aaron acted this offseason that they just won another Super Bowl and he wants another $100 million. But with everything on the line against Detroit, it was so disappointing. Then he follows, Tyler Dunn follows up with two of six for 12 yards with an interception in the fourth. We spent a lot of time talking and writing about the other stuff. Um, that the meat of the matter got lost in translation. Neither Gutekunst nor Matt LaFleur will ever come out and say it, but the Packers have had brutal losses to end seasons. For a while, it was someone else's fault. McCarthy, Bostic, Ted, the defense. Eventually, there needs to be accountability at quarterback. And here's what Butler says. The biggest thing for pro athletes, the ones that never take accountability, are the ones who make the worst teammates. Your teammates are trying as hard as they can to make a third of what you're paid and have to answer questions of why they gave up a touchdown. But you won't answer the question of why you threw an interception in the fourth quarter. That can tear a locker room apart. He goes on to say, once this trade is over with, the guy who'll get the most sleep is Matt LaFleur. Now he can run the offense he wants. This is Leroy Butler talking. They can find who they want. I just have never seen somebody rip the organization like that and still have a job. Anyways, there's a lot more stuff in there. He talks about his opinions on Jordan Love and everything else. A couple other questions I didn't touch on and, and, you know, I didn't quite elaborate on every single one of the answers, but I found those those to be the most telling parts. Now, again, this is his opinion, but I just think he gives a really good perspective. And, and, and also it's because, let's be honest, this is an Aaron Jones type of player and an Aaron Jones type of person. This is the kind of character that we're looking for in Green Bay, in the locker room, from the leadership, from the coaching staff. These are the kinds of guys we want in the building. And although guys like Butler would never say this if he was playing on the team right now, just like Aaron Jones would never say it, and he probably never will because he's too much of a good guy. But Butler is looking at this situation, and he's shaking his head saying, I cannot believe that he's doing these things. Based on what I, you know, and you think about what I did, talking about Butler, the things I went through. And, and again, I'm sure a lot of this frustration is looking at Favre, too. You know, you, you, you see how Favre is acting and all this stuff. And again, what, what a great point to bring up. You know, all these guys that are getting thrown under the bus, they're making a fraction of the amount of money you are. You know, when, when questions get, get asked about how Aaron Rodgers performed, not only did Aaron deflect, but the coaches and everybody else deflected, talking about what? The rookie wide receivers, throwing them under the bus, throwing the offensive line under the bus. The coaches having to take it on the chin. Matt LaFleur throwing it on the coaches. Well, the coaches, me and, me and the coaches are getting it wrong. Again, that's the kind of stuff that'll tear a locker room apart. We don't need that. So again, I, I, I completely understand it. And I've always said, man, go get, go get as much money as you can. Devontae Adams deserved every dollar he got. Every, all these guys, even Aaron Rodgers, if they're going to offer you $150 million, great. But don't you dare turn around and tell me that everything you're doing is doing it for the team and that it's team friendly and, and all you, care, you don't care about the money. All you care about is winning and you, you want the team to succeed and all that. Don't say that. Just don't lie about it. Go get as much money as you can. Congratulations on all the money. But then don't sit here and piss and moan about how you don't have all the weapons you want. Especially when the weapons that you do want are your old buddies because you want to hang out with your buddies more than you actually want to win. You want to make a bunch of money and bring back all your buddies and prioritize that over us. And then you got fans who are defending you saying you're somehow the victim in this, which is staggering to me.
Rodgers is the victim. Wow. Okie dokie. Whatever you say. Anyways, again, that's golongtd.com. Tyler Dunn always has a lot of uh, interesting stuff. It's not all Packers. He's kind of become more of a national guy, but being that these are his old stomping grounds, along with Bob McGinn um, being an old Packer, they always have a ton of Packers stuff, and their Rolodex is largely Packers. So, um, again, usually a lot of real good insights there. But with that, I am going to call it a day. You guys have yourselves a fantastic rest of your day. I'll talk to you tonight, talk to you tomorrow. Forever and ever. Bye-bye.